You are listening to the podcast of Calvary Church in Irwin, Pennsylvania. For more information, you can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com. Good morning, everyone. It is great to have you join us. Uh, Those here in person watching online or in one of the shelters, we're just blessed to to get to worship together. And today we're kicking off a new series. And if I haven't had a chance to meet you, my name is Nick. I'm the lead pastor here. And our new series is called Living in the Shadows. And and, uh, throughout this month, we're going to be looking at what it means to live in the shadows. And we love the spotlight oftentimes. We love the attention. But what does it mean to live in the shadows of one that is greater? Um, I don't know if you, any of you are big movie fans, but in 2000, uh, there was a blockbuster movie that was released depicting the famed uh, comic series X-Men. Have any of you guys seen the X-Men movie? A few of you. Uh, if you aren't familiar, these are a group of mutants who are human but were born with a uh, genetic trait called the X-Gene, which grants them superhuman abilities. Their abilities range from uh, a Magneto who had telepathic abilities or Wolverine who had the ability to heal himself or Mystique who could morph uh, her appearance. And the X-Men are just one example of the thousands of different superhuman figures in the Marvel DC comic universes. What makes these figures so fascinating to read about or watch on the big screen isn't simply their abilities but often it's the origin of those abilities, how they came to have those abilities. You see, the best of the superheroes, the best of the best, are figures that gained their super abilities through extraordinary means. In other words, they had a supernatural origin. Whether it's Superman who was born on the planet Krypton or Peter Parker who's bitten by a radioactive spider, the origin stories for thousands of comic heroes and superheroes has always been a key component to their story because what makes them special and quote-unquote super isn't their ability, but oftentimes it's how they acquired their ability. And this month, we're looking at the life of a man in Scripture that that wasn't quite a a superhero, but he had a pretty incredible origin story. And as his life progressed, he would make a significant, some might even say supernatural impact uh, on this world. And, And what's amazing about his story is he never performed or participated in a single miracle, but his life would set the stage for one of the greatest, if not the greatest miracle the world has ever seen, the moment that God took on flesh and dwelt among us. Now, we'll dive into that origin story here in a minute, but the man we're following throughout this month is a guy named John, or as many of us probably are more familiar with him as John the Baptist. Uh, he was the older cousin of Jesus and would show us some of the more, most tangible, challenging examples of what it means to follow Jesus in a selfless way. And when you think about it, I don't know a single human being that endeavors or sets out to live a selfless life. I don't know if you have, I haven't. Why is that? It's because it completely contradicts our human nature. You see, every ounce of our being is wired to put ourselves first in everything we do. We are born as incredibly selfish beings, but but just because we're born that way doesn't mean that's the way we're supposed to stay. So over the next four weeks, we're gonna look at what it means to live a selfless life as we explore this fascinating, amazing life of John the Baptist that we see recorded in scripture. We're gonna be looking at next week how uh, he had an abnormal approach. And the week after that, how he had a clarity of calling and, and, and uh, how he had a heavenly hearing. But, but today, we wanna to talk about his supernatural start. 
And before we dive into that, I want to give you a little of the backstory of what was taking place. And in the first century, uh, there was this Jewish priest. His name was Zechariah. Uh, you might not be familiar with the life of a first century Jewish priest, but serving as a priest was some, uh, had some very specific and stringent requirements and, and expectations. And, and while the expectations were high for, for these priests, it was a very desirable, very respected role in Jewish society. Zechariah uh, was a man who carried respect, who carried honor from those around him, just because, simply because of his position and his role. Now, he and his wife, her name was Elizabeth, they had this deep desire to have a family, but as has become far too common even today, they were unable to have kids. This was something that they had cried out to God about, something they longed for, but for whatever reason, we don't know the reason, they were never able to have kids. And with each passing year, this became less and less likely until they reached an old age where it was no longer unlikely but now became biologically impossible. This was a dream that they just assumed was now behind them. That, that leads me to this very ordinary, very routine day in Zechariah's life that would take on some pretty significant, extraordinary significance. Uh, in Luke chapter one, verse eight, this is what's recorded. It says, once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by Lot according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Now, the role assigned to each priest in their week of service was uh, decided by casting lots. And we are not familiar with casting lots, but you could equate it to something like we would do today, which is rolling dice. Uh, now, you might think, like, that seems really crazy. Like, how more random could it possibly be? Uh, but, but in some ways, rolling dice to us seems like a big thing of chance. But for them, they believed strongly that casting lots was a way that God would speak and dictate uh, our steps. And, and it wasn't random, but it was kind of divine chance. And, and, and so Zechariah is chosen by this divine chance at this moment to burn incense in the temple. He was a priest. This is what they did. Uh, there were, there uh, would have been three priests used in offering the incense at the temple at this time. The first one would remove the ashes of the former service. The second one would then come in and he would place on the golden altar the pan which was filled with hot burning coals taken from the altar of burnt offering there in the temple. And the final priest would sprinkle the incense on the hot coals. And while the smoke of the incense would then ascend into heaven, this last priest would then make intercession for all the people, meaning he would pray for the forgiveness of the people of God. This was the most distinguished of all three roles, and this was the role that Zechariah was chosen to do. And as he was burning the coals on the altar, the incense is rising, he begins praying on behalf of his people and something completely unexpected took place. In verse 11 we read, then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of this altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear, but the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. 
now, uh, those requirements right there at the end might sound a little odd to some of us, but these requirements outline what would immediately have been recognizable for Zechariah, which was uh, the, the expectations, the, the, the rights, the responsibilities, the standards of a Nazarite vow or the vow of a separated one. Now, this, this separation or vow was usually temporary or voluntary, uh, and the only three people we have recorded that adopted a Nazarite vow from the moment they were born, from the womb, throughout their lives were Samson in the Old Testament, Samuel, also in the Old Testament, and now John the Baptist. For, for Zechariah, who was a priest and was well-versed in scripture and, and Jewish literature and, and the Jewish scriptures, he would have understood immediately that this signaled something special, that, that this child was going to be something uh, unique and have a very sacred purpose. It goes on in verse 16. He will bring back, the angel goes on, he says, he will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children, the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And this was most definitely a holy, supernatural moment. But, but for Zechariah, he wasn't sure. He's like, I don't know how that's ever going to happen. Here's what he said in verse 18. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. In other words, what you're saying is actually impossible. Like you're explaining stuff and I hear what you're saying, but I'm processing it and it's not possible. And the angel replies to him in verse 19, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I've been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. He's trying to explain to him, listen, I'm just a messenger like, I don't dictate this. God has dictated this himself. Now, this is Gabriel, and if you might not be familiar, Gabriel was the angel that appeared to Daniel in the Old Testament when he was in the lion's den. He's also the angel that would appear later to Mary to tell her that she was gonna give birth to the Savior, to Jesus. And here's the big idea that I wanna share with you today from this story that I think is so important to recognize as we look at the origin story of John the Baptist. It's this thought that supernatural encounters often take place in surprisingly normal moments. Supernatural encounters often take place in surprisingly normal moments. Read throughout the Bible from beginning to end. Oftentimes, you'll see very normal, regular people doing very normal, regular things, and boom, the supernatural takes place. God appears to them, or God does a miracle. Many of our dreams and aspirations, though, often include the hope of these like game-changing moments in our lives. You know, moments like uh, we hit the jackpot. We hit the jackpot, the lottery. And it transitions, changes, transforms our debt situation. Or, 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 or that one, you know, golden job interview uh, where everything just clicks and we find ourselves living out the dream we've always longed for and the job we've always dreamed of. Or, 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 or meeting that Prince Charming or that, that bride that we so desire that we've longed for, and we magically fall in love with them and just live happily ever after, and it just kind of happens. These kinds of instant moments happen all the time in the movies, or on TV, in the shows we watch. We often start to assume, because of that, that that's what real life is like. That's, that's how real life happens. We, we even can chase these instant game-changing moments with our faith. Uh, recently, in the last month, uh, God has been doing some amazing things, if you haven't heard, at Asbury University. I mean, the move of God has been special and, and so important. And, and God has been moving, and now it's spread to other universities across the country. When I was a teenager, uh, I still remember uh, a move of God that took place in Brownsville, Assembly of God, in Pensacola, Florida. Uh, that, that move of God would last for over six 
years. These moves of God in my lifetime are often referred to as revivals. And and what makes these moments in history so special is God does miraculous, supernatural things in in these revival moments, in these seasons. God stirs things in the hearts of men and women that he hasn't before, and and he even sets in motion things that most most thought were, were completely impossible. This is what was happening for Zechariah in this supernatural moment. With that said, though, these are those spiritual jackpot moments that, with the best of intentions, we can often hope for, long for, and pursue And I pray deeply that we could see a move of God like this in our own church, in our community, across our county. But can I be honest with you? If if we keep playing lottery, you know what we end up with? Over time, chances are really good, you'll simply end up with a lot less money. Instead of playing the lottery, oftentimes it's more beneficial to put your money to work. Invest in yourself. Invest in something that's wise, a mutual fund or something along those lines. What's that doing? Well, it, what it's not doing is it's not creating quick results. It's not producing quick, instant results. But what it does do is produce something that is strong and lasting. Sometimes, if we're not careful as followers of Jesus, we can allow the same mindset to direct our pursuit of Jesus. We long for, strive for, and hope for that supernatural moment, that silver bullet that's going to change everything in an instant. That, that revival experience. And in the process, we miss the benefit of consistent, regular, some might even call it mundane walk with Jesus. Although a walk with Jesus is never, ever mundane. I love this quote by author and pastor Craig Groeschel. He he says it this way. Successful people do consistently what others do occasionally. Successful people do consistently what others do occasionally. You can apply that to any area of your life. In chasing that quick fix and hoping to, to just randomly fall in love or, or hit the jackpot in the lottery or, or, or become really obsessed with this idea of revival, we can easily miss the things God is wanting to do in us through the consistent practice of actually following Jesus. Does God still do this supernatural? You better believe he does. He still does miracles, and I'm so thankful we serve a God that still does the miraculous. And in fact, today... At the end of the service, we're going to have extended time of prayer and worship. I'm believing deeply that some of you today could be healed. That that God's going to speak to some of you today. And and God might even answer some long-standing prayers that you've had in these moments today. But I know just as deeply that simply pursuing those things is not the right posture or the right way to approach God. He's not some genie in a bottle. He's our loving, gracious creator. Let's get comfortable with the patterns and rhythms of our faith and watch what God will do and, I, and how he'll continually surprise us. Because supernatural encounters often take place in surprisingly normal moments. You know, we're walking through a Lenten season right now. This is a season where thousands, if not millions of, of followers of Jesus over these weeks are taking time to, to focus on their faith, to read scripture, to take time, extra time to pray. What is the value of a Lenten season? It's not to become religious. It's not so that we can eat fish on Fridays. It's not, you know, so it's kind of a reminder to start buying eggs or candy or whatever for Easter. The beauty and the value of a Lenten season is that we start to put practices and rhythms in place that honestly we should be doing all year. Because we want to see God do miraculous things, but we don't position ourselves in a place to experience it. And it's not just one moment. 
It's not just one second. God can do things in one moment, one second. But if we can consistently do what he asks us to do, not just when it, we need it, we get to see what God can do to form us and shape us. See, Zechariah, he wasn't doing anything special or really out of the ordinary. He was doing something that he had done many, many, many times before. And it was in the mundane, the ordinary, the regular, the healthy practice of his faith that God would do something supernatural. Zechariah wasn't looking for it. He wasn't obsessing about it. He wasn't hyping it up. He was just doing what he had done hundreds of times before and was open to what God might do in that moment. You see, if we're not careful, we can allow a pursuit of more money, more influence, more relationships, even more revival to become an idol that we ultimately start pursuing. Instead of that, you know what we're supposed to be pursuing? Jesus. This was the crux of the message John the Baptist would one day proclaim and live out. And it's fitting that this is the supernatural start to his life. And as Zechariah receives this remarkable message from the angel Gabriel, God would mute him. In other words, from the moment he gets this message, Zechariah couldn't talk. He couldn't say anything. And and it wasn't until John was born and and they asked Elizabeth, his mother, uh, what he was supposed to be called that he would be able to speak again. And and how this transpired is uh, everyone assumed uh, that this miracle child would be named after his father, which is the common custom at that time, that he would be called Zechariah, like Zechariah Jr. or Zechariah III or something along those lines. And, 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 And as they were assuming that, they turned to Elizabeth and Elizabeth said, no, no, we're supposed to call him John. And, and everyone thought, well, Elizabeth clearly isn't thinking right right now, like it's supposed to be Zechariah. So they turn to the father, to Zechariah, and, and ask him. And, and as he starts to write out the name John because he couldn't speak, immediately, miraculously, he could speak again. And the response of all of this unfolding, uh, uh, of those watching this unfold, showed the supernatural anticipation of what this child was going to one day become. We can read it in Luke chapter 1, verse 64. It says, Immediately his mouth was opened, speaking of Zechariah, and his tongue set free, and he began to speak, praising God. All the neighbors were filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of Judea, which is where they lived, people were talking about these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be for the Lord's hand was with him? Can you imagine like all of this miraculous things that transpired? Everyone knew Zechariah and Elizabeth are far too old to have children and miraculously they have a child and they're like, wow, this is special. And then Zechariah can't speak for this entire time for these nine months. And, 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 and now all of a sudden miraculously he speaks and, and they don't name him Zechariah like he should have been. They name him John and, and because God gave him that name and people are thinking, Wow, something is different here. There's something special taking place. And what did this child become? He would become the prophet that would usher in the long-awaited Messiah, the Son of God, Jesus himself. And here's what's so interesting about the story of John the Baptist. Over the course of the 30-plus years that John the Baptist would walk this earth, over the span of his ministry, he would preach the word of God on the outskirts of Jerusalem, dressed in camel's hair, eating locusts and wild honey. And while his ministry was memorable and incredibly special, We have no record of John the Baptist ever performing a single miracle or supernatural act as many of the Old Testaments before him had done. This child that had such a supernatural origin seems to contradict his own beginning with no extraordinary acts or supernatural happenings, but instead, day after day after day after day, he would do the seemingly mundane, just as his father had done. 
And it was in the mundane, the regular, the routine that he set the stage that ushered in the supernatural. Now, we refer to John as John the Baptist. Why do you think that's, that's the case? Because he baptized people. There's no, you know, real remarkable reason. He's referred to as John the Baptist because he baptized people. That's what he did. He, he'd do this a lot. He'd baptize people in the Jordan River. And he did this over and over and over again. Consequently, he would have baptized a whole lot of people. For John to baptize someone wasn't really a rare occasion or an extraordinary moment. It was just like a regular thing. John was the baptizer. He was the Baptist. He baptized people. That's what he did. But in his, his routine and regular exercise of these baptisms, the supernatural would step in. He didn't go chasing it. The answer to the impossible problems of our world was found in the seemingly mundane, not his pursuit of supernatural power. This is what's so remarkable about John. John had this awareness of his own life. He knew something was special, but he didn't seek it. You can see throughout his life, he didn't seek it. In fact, uh, really the, the premise, the crux of our whole series this month is this statement where, where, where John was questioned about how Jesus, as he arose into his role and in his ministry, how Jesus was gathering more people than John. It, it'd be like Jesus putting a church in our community and, and less and less people were coming to church and they were going to Jesus' church and it could feel almost like, man, he just like undercut us. He took all of our people. This is so disappointing, discouraging. And that was what happened for John. And, and someone asked him like, Aren't you like, aren't you like jealous? Aren't, aren't you, don't you feel bad that Jesus is taking all of your followers? And, and John makes this statement. He said, I must become lesser and he must become greater. What an incredible approach. John had the spotlight for a little bit, but he actually was okay living in the shadows of the one who was the light. And that's what God has called us to. And in this moment, John John's doing what he's always done. He, he's just baptizing people. He's preaching the word of God. He's declaring it. He's doing it in his own unique, out-of-the-box way, which we'll talk about uh, next week. But he, he had his own approach, but he's doing it. He's just doing his regular thing. And, and in Matthew's Gospels, the worship team comes today, chapter three. We read this. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. Now, I wanna stop there for a second. John chapter three, verse 13. Jesus came to Jordan to be baptized by John. This is one of the oddest verses you'll ever see in scripture. Uh, remember who Jesus was, okay? He's the son of God, he's God in the flesh, like he's a big deal, right? Right? Jesus is a pretty big deal. And he's coming to be baptized by John. What in the world? Now, in a little over a month, a month and a half, we're gonna have baptisms here. And people sometimes ask like, why do I need to get baptized? Like, uh, I don't need to do that. Like, it's just a formality and all that. But listen to this, Jesus, Never sinned, never did anything wrong. Son of God, God in the flesh. He even saw the value of making that public profession to say, you know what, I'm gonna baptize. He's the model, he's the example. And he comes and he's gonna baptize by John. And, and John, John's like, whoa, 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 deal. This does not make any sense. Jesus, you're my cousin, but you're the son of God. You're the Messiah. I know that and I believe that. Why in the world am I baptizing you? That doesn't make any sense. It says, but John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, but do you come to me? Jesus replied in verse 15, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. Verse 16, as soon as Jesus was baptized, listen to this, he went up out of the water, and at that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove 
alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. This is one of the, the only, there's only two places we see really in scripture, two moments where we see the Trinity present. We see the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit present. The Trinity at work in unison. This was a supernatural moment. This would set the stage for the remarkable ministry and life of Jesus that we have recorded in all four of the Gospels. This would mark the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. It wasn't marked by a king or even a priest anointing him. It, It was marked by a loud preacher on the outskirts of town, dressed in camel's hair, baptizing him in the Jordan River. So so what does that mean for us? What does that mean for us in 2023? I would venture to guess that some of us in this room today, some of us watching online, maybe sitting in a shelter today, some of us have some problems, maybe some questions, some immovable mountains that are in front of us. There are things that we aren't really sure how they're gonna turn out, how it's gonna transpire. There are circumstances in our lives that that, that may seem completely impossible to resolve or make right. And I'm not going to stand up here and tell you that all of these problems, all these issues, all of these situations are going to be fixed in a second here today. You're just gonna snap a finger and it's all gonna be fixed. But what I can tell you is this. I know, I know the one who is the ultimate answer to all the questions you have. He is referred to as the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning, he's also the end. He's the creator and he's the closer. He has the ability to start chapters in our lives and he has the ability to close chapters in our lives. And while I can't tell you what he will do, I can tell you this, that he is here and he wants to know you so deeply and so personally. Not as some genie in the bottle, but as the person he created. And supernatural encounters, I know for certain often take place in surprisingly normal moments. Not in moments where we get stirred up into an emotional response. And we're not here today to pray for revival. I pray revival happens in your life, in our church, in our community, in our county. We're not here to pray for revival. We're not here today to chase the supernatural. I hope the supernatural happens. I hope God does miracles. No, we're here today to pursue more of Jesus. And anytime people can come before God with a humble heart, just longing for more of him, every time that happens, good things happen. Because we take a posture, longing for more of him. And today, you might be like, man, I got so many things happening. We're we're, we're allowing a little time here. Why? Because this is important. This isn't about us just doing our spiritual thing and putting on a show and and raising our hands at the right time and singing and, and trying to work up tears or something like that. That's not what we're here for. This isn't an opportunity for you to act and put on a good show. This is for you and Jesus. In a normal moment, a regular routine, something that isn't that extraordinary, that we can experience more of Jesus in our lives. And Zechariah wasn't doing anything out of the ordinary, anything odd. He was doing what he had done hundreds of times before. And simply what he wanted was to know more of God in his life. And he was just doing what he had done many times. And in that moment, God stepped in. And I pray today that if we can just take a posture of saying, Jesus, I just want more of you. Not not what you can do, not what you can do for me. We have people in our lives, all they, they want is for us to do something for them, right? It happens so often. 
God deserves us, not just us with our hand out set, reached out. He's not looking for entitled Christians who just want something from him. He's looking for people who simply want him, period. More of him, more of Jesus in their lives. And God will guide you and direct you and give you wisdom. See, you'll see the miraculous and supernatural happen. Not when you chase it and pursue it, but when you just pursue him. When you just chase him. When you just say, God, I want more of you. And today, we're not gonna have a, a big, you know, spiritual thing or anything that we're, we're gonna pursue Jesus. And as we worship and pray today, here's what I want you to do. Two things. One, I want you to take a posture of saying, God, what in my life needs to go away so I can get more of you? God, less of me and more of you. What needs to go away so I can get more of you in my life? God, I just want more of you. And number two, God, how can you use me to help our world get more of you? How can you use me? This is what John did. John didn't just stay in a, a box and like keep him to himself. No, his passion, his desire was to get, get more of Jesus in the world. And this is what he would do. He would set the stage for Jesus' ministry to even take place. When you came in today, you got a little card and it has just pray for your circle with three, three names. Over these next uh, weeks leading up to Easter, I want you to just write three names down that you're gonna pray for. Three people that you're gonna pray, God, help me, help me, help those people get more of Jesus. Maybe that's inviting them to church. Maybe that's just praying with them. Whatever that looks like for you. God, how can I get more of you and how can I help our world get more of you? Would you stand with me this morning? We're gonna go into a time of worship here. And, and I know we have distractions. There are all kinds of different things that maybe we have going on and we have to get to. We have some time here on purpose. And we can just push all of that aside. Don't worry about who's around you or what's happening. We can just focus on him. And if you feel comfortable, oftentimes we lift our hands just as an act of surrender. If you feel comfortable doing that or, or taking a posture just to, to receive from him. Lord, I pray this morning, Holy Spirit, that you would move in this place. God, I pray that you would speak to us. God, we are a people that are broken. We are a people, Lord, that are empty without you. And Jesus, we don't want what you can just do for us. Lord, we don't just want you to do miraculous, supernatural things for us, to impress us. Jesus, we just want you. Simply put, we wanna be still and know that you are God. God, speak to us. Meet us in this place today. Challenge us, change us, and transform us as we take steps to pursue you, to pursue your heart and what you have for us. Thank you, Jesus. This is Pastor Nick Pohl, the lead pastor at Calvary. We're so glad you joined us for today's podcast. I hope you enjoyed the message. At Calvary Church, we're passionate about leading people into an overflowing life with Jesus. We would love the opportunity to connect with you on your faith journey and hear what God is doing in your life or join you in prayer for any needs you might have. You can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com or send us an email at info at calvaryirwin.com. On our website, you'll find previous week's messages, a list of upcoming events, as well as resources designed to help you take those next steps on your journey of faith. See you next week and may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. 